teaching the Bible is one thing that I enjoy, but the uh, thing that you you're kind of expected to do is make application to it. And so a lot of times application will be, come from, in the church, uh, a list of things that you have to do. But like, I hope that I don't give you that. I hope they don't give you a list of things that you have to do. But what Matt was talking about was applying who we are and how we go through life. That's that's how we do it together. Is uh, it is it, there? It is a battle. There's no question about it. So a, a application is basically taking this word and and trying to figure out how, how does this work just as we live and breathe. Just walking because it, there, there, there's a battle going on on up here. Uh, I was encouraged this morning because uh, one of our Pinheads employees comes in and he's like. Hey, thanks for teaching the the covenant. Wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, you understand the difference between the two? Absolutely. Understand the difference between the two. It's like, how come churches don't teach that uh, you don't have to, uh, that the old covenant is have to, but the new covenant is want to? I'm like, dang. (laughs) job Ron uh, I thank you uh, good job to Jesus <laughs> uh, I, I think that um, I told him I'm like because the evil one is absolutely okay with a mediocre church and when you m- mix law and grace together that's what you're going to get is mediocre like you you can't ever win that battle you can't walk around victorious hopefully you walk around victorious just as Matt was saying the evil one's not going to stop messing with you, that's for sure. He's not going to stop. Not until I'm out of this flesh suit. And so I have to take what Paul teaches and the New Covenant teaches, this writer in Hebrews, and figure out how, how do I do that moment by moment. It seems like I'm constantly being attacked. Even before I walk up here, even when I sit up here, I get attacked right here in the head. That's where it, it's not here. This is a done deal. It's been taken care of. I know you're, you're talking about a difference of, you know, a foot here, but uh, that's a big difference. My, my heart is good. My heart is good. My, I'm perfect, holy, and redeemed. But up here, ooh, uh, I still have the mind of Christ to do that battle and to go to battle. There's no question about it. But if the evil one's going to attack, it's the power of sin that dwells in my flesh just sends me some pretty crappy thoughts that aren't even true. Uh, sometimes they are true, uh, but uh, that you have to go to battle. And so if you mix this law and grace thing together, this old covenant and new covenant together, uh, you are basically living like the old covenant where they just kept asking for forgiveness and repentance, and then they would lose again. And they would go through this cycle. And it wasn't until Jesus came, and he we read this in the first part of chapter 10, he was the perfect sacrifice. He's the only sacrifice. His blood was poured out, and once for all it was done, you're forgiven, 
you have the ability to overcome sin, to win, and to walk around here victorious. And so I don't go back to the old covenant. I thank God for the new covenant that I live after the cross. And that's what we're going to teach in here. We'll teach Old Testament. We'll teach Old Testament because I believe in the Old Testament. It's the same God that's in the Old Testament that's in the New Testament. It's just there was a plan, and that plan was for Jesus Christ to come to be our Savior and to be our Messiah. And he's done that. They had to look forward to the Messiah in the Old Testament, whoever that was going to be. They had clues. They had clues, but now we know. We know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. And because of that, because of that, he rose, sits at the right hand of God, and sent the Spirit and lives inside of me. And that's the one that's going to do the battle for me right here. I'm not going to win that game. He's going to win that game for me. And I walk around victorious. So to back up, we're in uh, verse 19 of chapter 10. The the first 18 verses literally talked about Jesus being that perfect sacrifice and making a way for us to access God 24-7. And in verse 19, he starts out, Therefore... He's like going back, now that I've told you this in verses 1 through 18, therefore, brothers and sisters, he's talking about the Jewish believers. When I say Jewish believers, they were Jews that believed that Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new living and way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. I mean, you think about the history of the Jews in the Old Covenant. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they were living underneath the law, trying to live by the law and the power of the law. This is what we have to do. And they couldn't do it correctly. They could never perfect it. They were always messing up. And they had to come and do this sacrifice. You do this year after year after year after year, and it becomes tradition, and it becomes this mindset that this is the way to do it. Now Jesus has come along and said, hey, I'm changing that. Wait, you're changing the whole thing that we've done for hundreds of years? I mean, it's, it's like, how, how do we... And so giving up that mindset, you guys, it's 2023 and we still have that mindset. <laughs> that, we, that we have to go back and ask for continual forgiveness that we have to do, uh, and, and it's crazy. Like, how, how can it be 2,000 years later, and it clearly says right here in the Scripture what Jesus has done, and yet we're still doing the Old Covenant thing. We just have a hard time letting go of the Old Covenant. And I get it. It's God's Word. I get it. But keep it in context. I mean, they memorized it. They memorized that thing. They lived it out. They lived it out. And now, it's all changed. (laughs) The whole temple, the tabernacle, where only one man could go, now we all get to go. We all get to go to the Holy of Holies. It's right here. Jesus' body, he was the curtain. He was the curtain, and it was torn. He was the perfect sacrifice so that now, through Jesus, 
I have access to God 24-7, not through one earthly man that went behind a curtain and made a sacrifice, a covering, an atonement for my sins. I'm forgiven. Jesus' body, literally his body, was the barrier between God and man. And he gave it up. He was the sacrifice. His blood forgave our sin. And Jesus' death allowed our own death. Galatians 2.20, I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. I look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him. The moment that I believed, the moment that I believed, I was crucified with Christ. Something in me died. <laughs> so it's not just a figure of speech. Literally, something in me died. It says right here, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Literally, when I died, my sinful nature died. What was natural for me to do, which was to sin, was like crucified, eradicated, totally removed from me. It's no longer my nature. I still sin. Look, I, I still sin. But it's not my nature. My nature is righteous, it's holy, it's redeemed. Verse 21 says, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the emphasis there is on great. You saw me, uh, maybe you saw on Facebook uh, this morning, but uh, the great wizard of Oz, the great wizard of Oz as the curtain was pulled back. But the emphasis here is on the great high priest. Not was he just a high priest, but he was the great high priest. That's who Jesus was. Verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Remember we talked about in the last, in the last few verses that there was this sacrifice that was made of sin for the sins that they were unconscious about. You know the sins that you do, but then there's sins that you forget about or you don't think about. But now it's saying, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Moses, he was required to, to do two things for his sons to act as high priests. They would sprinkle them with the blood of an animal. That was Leviticus chapter 8, verse 30. Their sins and their bodies had to be purified. The high priest did. Not just, not just the people, but the high priest as well. And the difference for the new covenant believer versus Aaron and company was the freeing of conscious of sins. Like, they never could get over it. You... You need to get over it. It's a done deal. If you can rest in the fact that you've been forgiven, the fact that you're redeemed, ED on the end, that it's past tense, that it's, a, it's finished, if you can rest in that, why are you having to ask for forgiveness? He died once. He took care of it. 
He redeemed you. And then two is that they had to go and they had to like wash in water. Aaron's cleansing and that of the high priest, that was for the outward body. Our cleansing now because of Jesus is because of the inside. The inside of me is pure and clean. It's a done deal. It's perfect. I have a new heart. I have a new spirit. I'm a new creation. I'm a new man. That's what he made me. Some interpret that our bodies uh, are washed in the water means that we have to be baptized. And that's necessary for salvation. Well, that's not true because I, I, I've, I've been uh, in the Jordan River and it's nasty. <laughs> uh, yeah, in fact, we when we you see pictures of us baptizing on the trip in Israel, we're in this green water and there's stuff that's like swimming between you and everything else and it's kind of like weird, but if you actually go further down the Jordan River near the Jordan area uh where they think that Jesus was actually baptized, it's brown water and it's nasty. So I I know they're not talking about the water doing a physical purification thing. That's not what it's about. It says, uh, and let us hold on to the confession of our hope. This is where I encourage you, and I believe this is where Matt was encouraging you. Is let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to your salvation. Okay, I get that. Hold fast to my, I'm saved. I'm going to spend eternity with God the Father and Jesus in spirit. I get that. It's secure. But here's the thing that you have to. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. He is responsible for keeping me saved. There's nothing else I can do. He, He did it in the first place. I believed and he's going to do it in the remainder. That's it. And if you can do that, it really takes it really takes away the pressure of you trying to perform. You having to do something. You having to show up here on Sunday mornings. You have to be on a church committee. You have to do this. You have to It's a done deal. He says And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. That's exactly what, Scott, you were saying, what what Matt was saying. It's like love is mentioned for good works. Ron, it's what you were talking about, like the the works that we have to do right now is just let the Spirit move inside of us and just just love. Just love. Brian, that's the same thing you and I were talking about. It's just like the, the, the law that we now have in our hearts is the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love one another. That's the law. That's all you got to do. If you do that, you're good. You're good. And the thing that, if if you just fall in love with God and Jesus... You find out all that thing just naturally happens. Good good works are going to follow. And then verse 25, it says, Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Like, what was going on there, what was going on there was 
the Christians, those who believed in Jesus, they were just being hammered day and night by the Jews. Like, go back to the temple. Go back and do this. Give up what you were saying about Jesus being the Messiah. So literally, they they were being persecuted. The church is somewhat being persecuted today. Somewhat being persecuted today. But nothing like that was back then. Like, th- this was personal. And so they, they just quit hanging out together. It's like, th- th- this is getting us in trouble to say that we believe in Jesus. Well, that day's coming. It's coming again, I promise you. But it says, but keep encouraging each other. Keep keep meeting together. Keep hanging out together. I saw that there's a movie coming out uh, about the essential church or something like that. I'm not going to see it. Uh because it's all based upon uh, what well, well, the trailer I saw was like it was based upon like what happened during COVID and that the churches couldn't meet and everything else. And I'm like, you guys, we're we're the church, and we don't have to come here on Sunday morning to be the church. I I don't have to like be here at nine fifteen and and teach you guys and everything else to be the church. We you, you are the church, and during. I, I actually loved it during quarantine is that this this group thrived. Just checking on each other, being, you know, holing up in our homes and stuff like that, which was crazy. I, I get it. It was the times. Uh, but, man, this, this group right here was the church. Just loving on people, taking care of, checking on people, making sure. And, that, and, and that's what he's saying. Don't neglect to gather together doesn't have to be 9:15 on Sunday morning. There there's groups all around that are meeting all week long and people going to lunch and hanging out. Just get together and encourage one another. It says uh verse 26, for if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And when he's talking about sinning, he's like if you go if you go back, if you go back to the temple and make a sacrifice, that's sin. Because you're doing that out of your own strength. And you're disqualifying everything that Jesus did for you. Like, if you think that you still have to do this thing, then it's simply what it is. You you had the knowledge of, of Jesus and the truth, but now you're going back, that's just sin. It says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The old covenant sacrifice and covering of sins by animals was no longer necessary. Jesus' sacrifice voided all remaining sacrifices. wasn't necessary. It says, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. If this one verse right here meant that we were going to lose our salvation, then it would contradict everything else that we've studied in the Word of God. Like, if that's really what it means, this isn't about an eternal judgment. It's literally, if they remained in Jerusalem and sacrificing animals at the temple, they were to lose their life, physically lose their life, because as you know, in history, the Romans came in, destroyed the temple, 70 AD, and 1.1 million Jews died but not one of these Hebrew Christians. 
because they had been forewarned. They all fled before the Romans arrived. Verse 28, it says, And anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. You go back to Hebrews chapter 3, the very first part of chapter 3, and the author compared Moses to Jesus with Jesus being the greater. Well, why wouldn't the punishment be even greater? Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy. In verse 29 it says, How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Trampled? (laughs) Trampled on the Son of God. You go back to the temple and you make a sacrifice and you've trampled on the Son of God. You've actually dishonored Jesus. And regarded as profane the blood of the covenant, Christ's blood was no different than any other man. Is it possible that it was unholy blood? Absolutely not, because he was perfect. Insulted the spirit of grace by identifying himself with the generation of Jews who blasphemed the Spirit in Jesus and who were basically going to die in 70 A.D. Under the Old Covenant, God responded to disobedience by bringing on physical death. It was actually going to happen again here in 70 A.D. These Hebrew Christians would experience the same if they refused to abandon the idea of returning to the temple sacrifices. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know that history, Josephus says that they, n- not a single one of them perished, not a single one of them died. Is the removal from their flesh a sign of grace from, from God? Like, I, I sit there and think back in uh, the New Testament stories. I think about... Uh, the Corinthian man who basically the church just like let him let him go over to the evil one. You know, he was like sleeping with his mother in law and it's like just let him go. Let him figure his way out. And he did. He figured his way out. And he came back. Amen. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, they cheated they cheated God and they died doesn't say that God did it but but what if it was just an act of grace that they died and went to heaven and didn't have to deal with the consequences of their decision Hmm. the whole grace thing you, you look at it and you see that it's like sown through all 66 books Verse 30, for we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> the consequences of our sins can be terrifying. I, 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 I'm not one that likes to um, watch what everybody out here does and what your families do and everything else, although I see it. And I'm probably uh, most likely not going to call you out on it unless it's like harming, bringing like 
harm that's like threatening to you or to yourself, I'm going to trust that the Spirit will uh, remind you of who you are. Not bust your sins, not condemn you, but just remind you of who you are. But here's the thing. If you continue to make bad decisions, if you continue to make fleshly choices, there's natural consequences that come with it. And you can go down that you can go down that road. You can go down that road. There's things that are gonna happen. But if you just choose to walk by the Spirit, I'm not saying that you're gonna miss out on suffering. There's still be suffering. But there's some logical consequences that you won't have to face. If you just choose to walk by the Spirit, it's a much greater adventure. Yeah, you you have the freedom to choose your flesh and do those things. You can do that. But man, it's a rough road. It can be a rough road. And remember this, losing your salvation is impossible. I'm giving you freedom. I'm giving you freedom to make your choices. I'm not giving you freedom. Jesus is giving you freedom. Spirit's giving you freedom. You can do that. But I, I have a hard time condemning and judging people. Just keep reminding them and teaching about who they are in Christ. Verse 32, we're winding it down here. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Like they had heard about Jesus, they believed in Jesus, they proclaimed Jesus, but people were coming and persecuted and telling them to go back to the Jewish ways. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, like even in like the public theater. They were abused. And at other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. Your, your family, your friends, because you, you chose to hung out, hang out with other believers. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves had a, a better and enduring possession. This, this right here, this passage of Scripture, these verses actually confirm that the letter was written to believers in Jesus. That, it confirms that. And he's reaffirming them and all the things that they've already endured. I, I get what you've been exposed to, what you've had to go through, all the persecution and everything. But remember this, our inheritance is reserved in heaven. The, the, the things that I get down here, I get it. I got a great life. I, I do. I really do. But I really don't care about this. You know, people go, oh, you're addicted to baseball. I, I give up baseball, man. I, it's just a fun thing for me. It is. There, there's something that's much greater, much greater that's awaiting me. And I'm absolutely good with that. The greater things are to come. He says, 35, so don't throw away your confidence. Which has a great reward. It, I, I believe it has a great reward here on earth, but I have been a great reward in heaven. Don't don't throw away what you know. Don't just walk by the Spirit. Don't walk by the flesh. Flesh is not going to do you any good. 
For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Sometimes we just cruise along in our faith and I get it. We become independent. There's no need for God. And then all of a sudden we go through some kind of crisis or suffering and all of a sudden, oh, I need God. I I get that. In crisis, and here's the thing about crisis, if something happens, if it hits the fan, two things are going to happen. You're either going to cling to God or you're going to turn away from God. He's like, don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. doesn't mean throw away your salvation because it's not talking about that. That's impossible. We've already talked about that. We've already proved that. The quality of the believer's works in our journey will be rewarded. Not the quantity. It's not. It's like the things that I do through the Spirit, through the Spirit, be rewarded someday. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be a great day. Those things that I've done in my strength, worthless. Why why would one want to toss away the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ? Like he's saying to them, you you you're going to lose your physical life. You can't lose the rewards and everything else, but you 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 could lose your life. They can't lose their salvation, but you could lose your life. It's like we need to accept God's grace in every moment of every day and every breath that we take. Verse 37, the last few verses. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. He's literally quoting Habakkuk 2, verses 3 through 4. He says the same promise right there has been made to Habakkuk that he's making to them, he's making to these Hebrew Christians. He wants us to have pleasure that comes from just being obedient in Jesus and listening to him. That's it. And then the last verse is this. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed. But those who have faith and are saved. Again, again saying this this confirms once again that salvation is not a question. Destroyed, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed. In today's world, I think there's things that can destroy me. But again, that's the power of sin telling me that. There's nothing that can destroy me. Yeah, this whole this whole ministry, this whole Sunday thing, this whole thing could be wiped away, could be taken away at any moment, but there's nothing that can destroy me because he made me holy, righteous, and redeemed. If faith, we're not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith. Where does my faith come from? It comes from God. I just have to claim it. I just have to claim, I, I have to trust it. Lord, help Help me with my unbelief. It is something that we already have. We talk about this all the time. It's been given to you. Faith has been given to you. It's a gift that has been given to you. All you have to do is receive it, open it up, and play with it. Enjoy it. Just live in it. 
you have enough faith to finish this race here on earth. It's through our daily faith and our grace that we can obtain this incredible life of adventure here on earth today. That's all he's saying to them. Don't lose focus. Don't give up on what you know. Rest in what you know. Trust what you know. What you know is Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Father, I know that we go through stuff, grief and stuff and things, but I got you on my side. And I can walk around here victorious in the midst of all the junk that's going on around me. I trust you with that. So Lord, I pray today that my faith and that the faith of my friends right here continues to blossom and grow because you do it in us. That you give us life. That you do great works through us. That we worship with each breath. And I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.